This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Hey guys, welcome back to Old News. I'm Tom Elms. Uh, It's good to be uh, back after a bit of a break. I'm here today with my buddy, uh, Jimmy Knight. How you going, Jimmy? Yeah, good, man. Good to be here. Jimmy, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so my name is Jimmy. I live in Wollongong. Uh, I uh, am currently studying social work at the University of Wollongong here. Um, love surfing. I uh, love being outdoors, really. Just anything to do with sport, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, so before you kind of started at social, doing social work stuff, you went to uh, YouthWorks College and we studied the Bible together mm-hmm. and thought a whole bunch about youth ministry. Yeah. Uh, what's your kind of, what's your involvement been in youth ministry? Yeah, so while I was at YouthWorks, uh, I was at Salt Church and I was um, involved the first year there um, helping like just lead youth. Um, and then the second year I was actually running the show, which was good it was a good experience um so yeah i've got a little bit of youth min experience up my sleeve bunch of learning and challenges <laughs> um from spending time kind of thinking about youth ministry what do you think are some of the biggest challenges kicking around youth Midland? yeah i mean there's always the universal challenges i feel like that are always going to be there regardless of when uh, a youth minister has participated in youth minister in youth ministry um i think for me personally the the biggest challenges that i felt that i faced um was issues regarding or issues around the sexuality debate um young people um struggling to find their identity um uh particularly their sexual identity um but then also stuff like the gender pronouns coming up um um, that was always a tough conversation to have um, with leaders and with youth kids. Um, and that really just came down to how do we, as a youth, faithfully teach the Bible and what the Bible says, but also how do we love kids um, and partially care for them um, when they're struggling with this stuff. Um, I think also as well, just in general, um, an issue is how to encourage and teach kids to remain pure in an increasingly sexualized society where, um, yeah, it's just way, way more prominent. Yeah. And I think kind of a poor understanding of what the Bible in general, but also what the Old Testament has to say about these issues has maybe contributed to that and that people mm. have just kind of had little sections of Leviticus thrown at them to, and then them have just, they've just been expected to take on that point of view and that's kind of inflamed an issue rather than, than fixed one. Yeah. Uh, and so it kind of highlights how important, because uh, the, there's a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament that really helps with this stuff, right? Like it talks about purity and commitment and faithfulness uh, in a way that isn't, focused around condemnation but we just mm. don't seem to unlock that stuff heaps often yeah yeah uh, so what what is it about the old testament that you've traditionally uh, struggled with <laughs> um some of it can just be so, like just so boring 
Um, oh, that hits me in the heart. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, I, yeah, I just there's some parts it's just not what I'd go to for a daily devotional or something, you know. So why would you persist with it then? Why would you bother sitting down and reading a section of it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, naturally, I feel that way inclined that it is boring, and I would not lean so much towards it. Um, um, I I think when we intentionally decide to read it and look deeply into it and understand really the context and how it plays into the whole Bible. It, it really can unlock just another beautiful, beautiful dimension to reading the Bible. Um, but I'm just not naturally always inclined to think that way. Yeah. It's almost like you've got to gear yourself with an understanding of, of what you're approaching mm. to, to get the, the juiciness out of it. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, cool. Well, with, with that in mind, um, today we're going to be hanging out, thinking about what, what could possibly uh, be thought of by some people as one of those boring books in Joshua, because <laughs> uh, it's just a, a whole bunch of narrative and a whole bunch of lore. Um, but yeah, I think I think that'll be good as we kind of chomp off this thing. I th- so I think we're going to be doing this in two parts, because uh, there's going to be a, there's a lot to get through and a lot to think about. So uh, yeah, let's, how about we have a dive into it and have a think about it. So the book of Joshua, it's pretty kind of interestingly placed in that it's the end of the Torah. Uh, Moses has died by this point. Uh, we've just seen the Israelites go through a long period of, of disobedience and punishment. They've been wandering in the desert and we've kind of got this new generation moment where the people are about to finally about to enter the promised land. Uh, there's, but there's people who already live there, right? And so they're kind of coming into a, a world that's already inhabited but it's a land that's been promised to them. Um, Joshua is kind of one of those weird books in that it feels like it's still part of the Pentateuch. Joshua's not really a judge, and so it doesn't fit super strongly with the book of Judges. Mm. And so we don't always know uh, where we're going to kind of attach it to, right? Mm. Um, But what we do see is this kind of renewal moment as Israel finally enter the Promised Land. It's kind of the conclusion of, of the Torah it's kind of this moment where we see a bunch of, like maybe, you know, the promises to Abraham, are they being fulfilled here? Is this going to be the moment that this happens? So there's a bunch of anticipation uh, around it. Um, but it's a long book. It's an interesting book to think about uh, and, and kind of an interesting one to teach. I haven't seen it taught very much. I've seen kind of individual talks on sections before or mm. heard people teach about Jericho in Sunday school. Uh, what, what kind of ways have you seen this book taught? Yeah, um... I've really kind of, we did it at church earlier this year and we went through the whole book and um, we didn't focus, we didn't really exegete every single sentence of the whole book because like you said, it's, it is quite a big book and there is quite a lot in it. Um, we, you could break Joshua up really into a few different sections. Um, the first few sections, um, you can really focus on quite in depth, um, and then we kind of, as we got further into the book, there's a few sections that are a bit, uh, I guess the chapters are all kind of similar and they flow on and kind of continue the story. And really, you could you could spend time on the detail, but it does work well, um, kind of just like an overview 
of it and what does this part mean um so that really kind of is the last the, the last third of the book you could really do that for yeah i think it's interesting right because it's one of those situations where you've got to make the decision between like the, like as we'll come to later on there's a section where it's just a big division of land mm-hmm. and that stuff like from a theology, theological and, and study perspective really excites me. Uh, and I find, I find I really love the detail and thinking about that. Um, but it's then the situation where you're like, oh, I've got to distinguish between what excitement and thinking I do for a theological essay and or a project and mm-hmm. what I'm going to do when I'm, I'm trying to take the word here and apply it to the lives of, of youth kids. And I think those last sections can be really great for that. And I think uh, I... I will try and convince uh, people that, that those sections are really worth preaching in depth mm. um, while still not going through like, you know, just the, the, the chunk of chapters that's just about the division of land. Mm. Like we could probably find a way to do one talk. So I think as we we think about it, it's almost like a, you can zone in on those stories that people know pretty well at the start of Joshua. I think most mm. people know most of those stories quite well. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, and then it kind of zoom, almost like zooms out the further through the book we get mm. as things start to roll on. There's almost like an introduction of core themes at the start mm. and ideas. And then we see the kind of faithfulness of God expand through the book. Yes. Um, and then almost zone back in again, right at the end for <laughs> Joshua's speeches. Mm. Uh, yeah. But I think an, an interesting book to teach and that we want to hit those key themes and key areas. Um, but we also want to make sure we keep our youth kids engaged yeah. with what we're teaching uh, and it almost hits us on that question of I think we can this is where like our kind of practic, practical ministry and our theology can, can be intention and that we're like we want to teach this stuff and we need to teach this stuff and like oh but the kids are all asleep like how do we do we find that middle ground which is something I find really interesting uh, mm. as I kind of really want to teach those more uh, quotation mark boring sections um, <laughs> that you wouldn't want to necessarily jump in in your quiet times Uh, yeah yeah definitely and I think you can really do that effectively and because of the way Joshua is structured it really just carries on those themes that are focused in on at the start Um, and so um, yeah it would make for a really good uh, uh, 10-week series that you could do um, over the course of a term um, like you said, following it closely at the start and then zooming out, um, the, the point and the themes will, um, really be consistent throughout that style of teaching it, I think. Yeah. And I think with some books, like we find commonly at church with gospels, we'll, we'll pick a section of the gospel and each year kind of hit on the next section. That seems to be pretty, pretty common in our church worlds um and so you could maybe do that with with joshua although it's going to be harder when you start to hit those end sections Mm. um but i think today we'll we'll split the book up into four main sections and then maybe we'll do that that application through going oh well we're going to look very closely at the start and then it's going to expand as we get towards the end so maybe like one to five where we have the establishment of joshua 6 to 12 with all the war that occurs mm-hmm. uh, and then there's kind of that 13 to oh was it about 13 to splitting of the land I think yeah 13 to 22 yeah. and then um, which is probably the, the boring engagement section mm-hmm. uh, and then Joshua's speeches at the end as kind of these four sections that we can see if we can 
yeah, I like I like the challenge. We'll see if we can fit them into about a ten week series. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then maybe at the end of this, uh, which I think will be an, an important thing to do, something that I've been challenged on as well uh, by a few people who have commented on stuff, is whether or not we would look hard at some of these hard issues in the Old Testament that we don't always want to touch on, and Joshua kind of unavoidably has a bunch of conflict in it, uh, and punishment, and judgment, and death that we probably need to deal with. And so after we've gone through these sections of the book that we'll, we'll do for a series, uh, I think it's good then that we spend a little bit of time uh, fleshing out those those bigger issues, probably mostly in part two. We'll think about that um, yep. and chat those through and how we would not only ponder them ourselves, uh, knowing that me and you aren't going to be able to solve these issues, but then thinking mostly about how we're going to talk to youth kids about them and, and think through mm. that. Yeah, so as we start to think about Joshua, that first section, Joshua 1 to 5, uh, which I would almost title that section as a, a new Moses and uh, maybe not new Israel, maybe refreshed Israel. Uh, which this section, I mean, this section would be a good short series. If I was going to drag one section out of it and make it a short series, I, I might grab onto this one, especially if you've just done Exodus. Uh, but in Joshua 1, we now have the installation of Joshua uh, as the new leader of Israel's people, uh, and that he is, um, yeah, a servant of God. Uh, he's installed uh, to be the next leader who will take Israel, who are on the verge of the promised land now. Looking onwards, uh, Moses has been uh, has passed away but also wasn't allowed to enter the promised land himself. Uh, and now we have this leader who's about to take Israel forward into the fulfillment of these promises that have been made to Abraham and then made to Moses, made to the people uh, in the desert. Uh, and so we have this new Moses-like leader uh, come, come forward and that God declares that as he was with Moses, so too he'll be with Joshua. He's not going to leave him or forsake him. Uh, and then we get these classic uh, memory verse Joshua <laughs> verses. Um, so uh, Joshua 1.9, uh, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, in 7 to or, or 6, um, or before that, like from, from 5 onwards, we have God start making all these promises to Joshua about his commitment and faithfulness to him, that God's going to stay by Joshua. He's, and if Joshua remains faithful, if Joshua meditates on the, on the law, uh, that he will be, um, that, he, that if he's careful to do everything that's in it, then he's going to be successful because God's going to stick with him. Mm. He's going to repay faithfulness with faithfulness. Uh, and Joshua then takes these orders to the people. The people make this super ironic statement where they say, just as we followed, just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will fully obey you. Uh, I don't know if that's meant to be a joke, but it definitely comes across as one. Uh, and that now the people are making this new commitment under this new leader to go forward as Israel as they leave the desert and enter the promised land. Uh, yeah, behind this new leader, Joshua. Uh, it, it's a cool introduction, I mm. think, having having this new guy installed as leader, a guy that we already know is a fairly good guy, uh, who was a guy who's stuck by Moses, who's been a faithful leader and is now in yeah. a position of top leadership. So uh, that people know as well, he's been around for a while. Yeah, and, he's been leading yeah. the armies uh, already before mm. this point. Mm. And so now when we see him 
come into place and as the series begins and we introduce this guy to our youth kids uh, yeah how, how are you then going to land this uh, if you're doing a first talk on it yeah I think for um, application wise like you were saying we really see Israel on the cusp of tasting um, the fulfillment of God's promise that was made all the way back to Abraham and so um, there's this real sense of anticipation um, and excitement that God is going to fulfill his promise to his people. Um, and so I think for our youth kids, we can really encourage them to trust in God, trust in his promises and trust in his faithfulness to us as his people. Um, and whether that be at school, struggling to stand firm um, in a difficult culture that's really quite anti Christian and agnostic and all of that, um, I think we can really drive this point that God is a God who will fulfill his promises um, and that he is a God that we can trust in and depend on. Yeah, it's a really great opportunity to introduce this theme of faithfulness that's going to carry through the whole book. And it's, it's awesome to see that at this beginning section, God is really establishing a promise of what's now going to occur from here, um, but almost just reaffirming the promises that he made to Moses when he first calls Moses, he's uh, that he's going to be faithful to him, that he's going to save his people. And then we see this being carried out here, that God is consistent, he's continuing to apply uh, the, this way of dealing with his people, uh, and that we can hammer home this theme at the beginning of our series, knowing that this is also going to play out, but also that we can play off the um, almost irony of the people saying that they're going to commit to God. And if they don't, mm. um, if we if we fail you, then, then those people will be put to death. Um, like that's that just completely foreshadows what's going to happen in the book as people start to be faithless. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a good place to start. Uh, it's a good little introduction. We could also spend some time reflecting on what we expect from our leaders uh, as God puts Joshua into place, we can reflect on who he is. Um, mm. But that's almost going to come out more and more as the, as the book goes on. Yeah. But yeah, chapter one, it's a good place to hang out. <laughs> cool. So as we get to chapter two, we hit uh, what is probably... Uh, maybe the this in this in the fall of Jericho probably the two most well known sections of this book we have Love the Veggie Tales episode. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't grow up at church, man, so I just have none oh, of that. You missed out, man. I know, it especially in kids' music as well. <laughs> uh, I always find myself stood at church, not knowing the words to anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, this story is well known to even people like me who didn't grow up at church. Mm. Um, we see that just as uh, Moses sent out spies, Joshua sends out spies into. Uh, Canaan to, to suss things out, except things got a lot better this time. Yeah. Um, so the spies go to Jericho and they kind of start having a look around and then things don't, don't go super to plan and they end up having to hide. Uh, and we find them hiding themselves in this, the house of a, of a prostitute named Rahab. Mm. Uh, and that they, they get a bunch of information from her. Um, but she also protects them. Um, from people who may be coming to kill them or guards that may be looking to find them. And so she's faithful to them. She, she cares for them. But in exchange for that, she asks that they would protect her when the army comes. 
mm-hmm. uh, that they would look after her when and, and her family yeah and her family as well, as well. Yeah. so all those people when when the city ultimately does fall she gets them to swear an oath to them uh, that that she agrees to it um, and and then then they she she helps them get away she ties a scarlet cord in her window so that they know which place is hers um, yeah and then the men the men escape get back to Joshua uh, and then declare that the people in in Jericho are are fearful for their lives that the things are not um, yeah that the things are looking good for the armies of Israel as they enter. Uh, the land of Canaan and, and seek to first take the city of Jericho. Uh, so a pretty well-known story. So we have to go into heaps of detail because people mm-hmm. kind of know the parts of it. Um, but yeah, an interesting one, I think, when you, you stood in front of youth kids and then trying to explain to them why they should care about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, there's a, a lot you could talk about. I think probably the main point that we want to draw out here is that God brings salvation to a Gentile woman. Um, And out of all of Jericho, um, her profession is a prostitute. So by far, um, not the person that you would expect for God to save. Um, We see here for particularly youth kids today, that God is gracious to those who seek and fear him and that he responds to faithfulness. Um, yeah, and integrity and character. Um, and I think it's a really positive uh, story in this book um, to help us understand more of God's character. Um, and like we've kind of talked about in Joshua 1, God's faithfulness and um, how we can depend on that. Yeah, and that God's people uh, as well. Like this is a moment where God's people make a promise to someone who they've been commanded to, to wipe out. Mm. Um, in the in the sense of um, she she's taking care of them and they're gonna well we'll see that faithfulness carried through later on in, in later chapters when she she is protected and uh, when they remember that and they don't kill her um, but yeah I think I think we can make a, a lot of this and I, I I like that you pick up on the the fact that she's just the most unlikely person that maybe someone reading this at the time would expect them to be saved like she's not a great leader. She's not really in a position mm. of strength. She has uh, what the Israelites can, would consider to be a shameful profession. Um, but she is saved. And we then see later on her name appearing uh, in the genealogy in Matthew, yes. uh, the start of the gospel, when talking about the ancestors of Jesus, um, where we see that her um, her descendants are then people who are faithful to God. And, um, and yeah. I, think, I think we see, I think in the genealogy of Matthew, it's Boaz is her son. Right. Um, which is a pretty yeah. cool connection. Um, but that the the thing that's cool about that genealogy in Matthew, right, is that the women involved in it are all Gentile people that you wouldn't mm. necessarily expect to be saved. Um, but I think while it's awesome that Rahab is a, is a woman, I don't know if I want to make a huge fuss out of her gender because I think what's really cool here is that regardless of her gender, she is incredibly faithful. Mm. She, is, uh, she protects these men, um, but also is looking to... Uh, she, she knows that danger's coming and she protects her family. Yeah, she's situation. shrewd and assertive, but also God-fearing. Um, um, so she's just awesome in, in general here. Um, but I think the fact that, you know, a lot of our youth kids, especially in my area where people are quite well off and uh, they come from families that they, might con- that they would consider to be respectable, mm. um, it can be easy to disregard the other uh, and the people who are different to them. 
But here we see out of this entire city, the person who shows the most faithfulness and the person who God is going to stick by uh, is not the person that our, our youth kids might be expecting. Mm. And I mean, we really see a parallel with this with Jesus' ministry and who he comes to serve and to save. And um, that's, re- that's really the crux of his whole ministry is reaching those on the outskirts and the, those who we would at least expect to help and take God to. Mm, yeah, the marginalized, the uncared yeah. for, the rejected. Yes. Um, yeah, and we can see that this is, an, uh, this is an element of God's character that is foundation in the early older parts and like the most chronologically eldest parts of the old testament um that this is something that when we see it come through in jesus is an expected characteristic of god because Mm. he is he does continually do this for his people Uh, so a really cool section as we start to build that theme of, of faithfulness and also as we start to highlight just the same things happening that happened with moses except this time they're going well joshua's leadership's kind of being affirmed because he's uh, this time, instead of the people freaking out and then spending 40 years in the desert, uh, they're now there's a confidence in Joshua of what he's now about to do, which is really helpful uh, for seeing God's big plan in action here. Uh, so chapter three, I think this is one where a lot of our youth leaders will struggle if we just chuck them this talk and, and not tell them, uh, not give them much other guidance. And so understanding that there's so much symbolism going on behind here in, in this next event. So in chapter three, we have what is essentially just another seal of Moses-ness um, as, as Joshua's leadership is sealed as being a, a, a new and maybe slightly more successful um, at least when it comes to getting the, the support of the people, um, Moses figure. Uh, so we have the, that God, God gives them a bunch of instruction around the Ark of the Covenant, which is carrying the Ten Commandments, the law, um, that the priests are to carry it ahead, and that the Jordan is going to part uh, before it. Uh, it's, it's this, uh, this unstoppable river uh, is going to be ceased uh, so that so that the God's people may cross through. And mm. um, it's a really powerful image as the ark kind of stands in the center of the water as God's people cross through. And if you read it, there's a whole bunch of long words here uh, describing all the people that are going to fall uh, in the face of God's people who are going to be driven out of the land. Um, yeah, and, and you see that the water is split just as it is in Exodus. Um which is just this really cool moment of, of resealing uh, and reminding us of what God's done for his people, like that God has saved Mm. his people. And so as they brought out of Egypt and they are literally saved, we then see the symbolic salvation as they enter the promised land from their wandering. Uh, And it's a huge reminder and maybe, maybe even a resealing of, of God's care and promise and protection Mm. uh, of his people uh, until the whole nation, then the whole nation crosses into uh, the this land on dry ground yeah i think it's a really um i just want to pick up on the protection kind of point that you make um that image that we see of the ark of the covenant that the priests hold it um, for all of the nation to see as these millions of people are walking through this river um that actually 
God is the one doing this. He is the one commanding his people. He is the one leading his people through Joshua. And he, like you said, is the one protecting them and guiding them um, so long as they trust in his faithfulness. Yeah, and as it carries through into chapter 4, there's a bunch of kind of weird stuff that God asks people to do, God asks them to do with stones. Um, yeah, which just gives them um, just a bunch more symbolism around what's being, what's occurring as they remember that they're crossing the Jordan. Um, yeah, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. There being 12 of them, symbolizing the 12 tribes. Um, that this is an event that we're meant to remember. Mm-hmm. And that we're meant to remember that just... And, and, and remember what it symbolizes and that God has saved his people. Remember that when the people of Israel entered the promised land, they entered on dry ground because they were following a God that could hold back this river. Uh, and and it's, it's such a demonstration of his power and faithfulness to his mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, we can communicate that to our youth leaders. But what call, what call to action are they going to give as they then present it to their youth kids? I think we can really emphasize that God is in control, that God, like we've said, will fulfill his promises. Um, that's probably, for me, that's the main point that I would draw out. Yeah, and I think it's one of those those passages that can sometimes seem like when you're trying to find application, you're trying to squeeze some water out of a rock, um, <laughs> which is not a pun on the symbology here, but... Um, yeah, but it's important that they, we get across a bunch of the symbolism of what's occurring. It's important that we see a new exodus. It's important that we see uh, this rejuvenation of an act of, of what happened in Moses. Uh, and it's one of those talks where it might not have a ton of, this is what you now need to do. Uh, there is a bunch of understanding this is really important, especially when reading the rest of the Bible, mm. because we see um, that we probably don't go back to this moment in Joshua enough when we talk about other elements of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. As a, as a moment when God shows uh, the way in which he's going to do things and he reaffirms his character and uh, faithfulness to his people. And we see that the power of the symbol of the ark that's holding things back, we see the importance of standing by God's law in the Old Testament here as being this huge key thing. It's almost being equated with God himself in this moment as being the thing that's in the middle as everything's being held back. And I think this is something that we can teach our youth kids uh, and can encourage them a whole bunch, uh, but might not necessarily have those. No, you need to go and do this at school so that you can bring your friends to Christ. And you know what? That's actually okay to have in the talk sometimes. All right, so we're chapter five uh, from verse two, kind of till the end of... Um, until verse 12, uh, we have this section that could really, like, you, we could smash it in with the stuff before about the parting of the Jordan. And there's a bunch of themes here that are similar. But just for clarity's sake, we can separate it now in that this is a time when the covenant that God has with his people, uh, harking back to the time of Abraham, is kind of reaffirmed by his people. So for one reason or another, we're not entirely sure. Uh, while they've been in the desert, they haven't been practicing circumcision as much as they should so they have a whole bunch of uncircumcised men and so they go through this renewal moment where they all um, they'll make sure that they're circumcised before entering 
the promised land. They're reaffirming their covenant and purity with God before then moving in. They then celebrate the Passover together. And then something that's really significant is the manna that God's been providing from heaven, essentially, uh, stops. And from this moment onwards, they will eat the produce of Canaan and the promised land. So a moment with a bunch of symbology, which I guess is why it's worth spreading out and thinking about here. Um, But why do you think this is so relevant for us in thinking about it now, considering circumcision is not something that we would practice anymore? Yeah, I guess the symbology of it is, um, I mean, it's part of Israel's covenant, but it's to help them remember. Um, And so I think um, for us today, it's important to remember God's word and what he um, asks of us and commands us to do. Um, And so I think um, this is really just, a passage that's full of um, just calling people to remember again God's faithfulness, what He's done for them, but also the um, the part of the covenant for at least Israel, what they've agreed into as well to be um, a light to the nations and to be um, following God and His way. Um, speaking of remembering. I don't know if before this part we see a lot or hear a lot of the manna as well. So it's 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 good to be reminded that this God has been providing for His people all throughout um, Deuteronomy with the manna, and um, now they're getting their first literal taste of the new land that God has promised them. So it's a really cool little section, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's worth spending that time thinking about what's actually going on here and really affirming for our youth the continual strand theme of those promises that have been made to Abraham that are continuing. And we see that element of land in the promises now being given to them as they start to enter. Uh, this, This is kind of really, it's really important. And it's important that we recognize that there's also an area of God, like um, the, the manner stopping is we're seeing this moment where God has been providing this for his people, and now that is ceasing because he's now going to provide for them in a different way. And so we see the the kind of this isn't this really is the end of a chapter. It's the end of a, a significant moment in the in the passage of God's people as they now enter the promised land, and that becomes where they the the land of milk and honey that becomes where they're sustained from. And uh, yeah, and so I, well, I think well, we could talk about this on its own, or we could combine it with the talk before, um, especially because I've. I've chosen in our kind of breakup to put the the little meeting with the commander of the Lord's army into the next chapter with when thinking about Jericho um, that this own section where uh, we're just reaffirming the covenant and remembering what God's done for us and then calling on our kids to remember what God has done for them through the gospel like that we do have signs that can talk about things we have um, yeah ways of remembering that could be more helpful especially in a generation that doesn't hold information in their heads we keep it in our phones uh that that kind of pulling on that concept of remembering might be actually be a helpful thing Mm. uh, particularly when thinking about the faith of our kids yeah Okay, now a section that we've probably uh, been waiting for, I've been waiting to talk about, uh, the fall of Jericho. Mm-hmm. So probably probably the most famous story from the book of Joshua, the one that most people are aware of what's happening, mainly because it's a little bit weird and how it all occurs. 
Um, but it starts with this interesting introduction where Joshua uh, sees a man standing in front of him near Jericho and he approaches him and finds that he's the commander of the army of the Lord. Um, now, I don't want to kind of, especially with youth kids, I'm not going to delve too far into exactly what that means or who this figure might be. But what we, we do have is, is that he's a representative of God's army mm. and therefore God's justice and, and how he's going to carry out uh, the defeat of Jericho. Uh, and then Joshua asks a really normal question, I think, in that he asks him, well, are you with us or are you for our enemies? Like, who, who are you going to fight for? And the commander responds with, well, neither, actually. And so he, Joshua is kind of then informed that, what's, that he's on holy ground and he shows reverence. But in this moment here, we see that it isn't a case of, is, the, is God's army for... Joshua or is God's army for Jericho, the challenge is now put forward as to is Joshua and are the Israelites for God? Is he on, are they on God's side? Because God's side is what's going to be victorious. Mm. We then have uh, this kind of description of an impenetrable fortress of Jericho. Uh, and instead of going ahead and doing what uh, invading armies would normally do, um, they, the Lord comes to Joshua and kind of gives them this weird ritual thing that they need to do of walking around the city, blowing trumpets, cheering, all this stuff that sounds a bit silly to us. And maybe in the past, we might have expected Israel to have rejected this or to have gone ahead and done their own thing. But Joshua, being the faithful guy that he is, goes ahead with it all. And then there's this moment on the final day when the walls of Jericho fall in response to the cries of God's people. Uh, and then God's people win a great victory that day. And... We have this moment of uh, God's faithfulness to his people because they have trusted in him. Um, but also we see that it wasn't the people who brought down the walls. The walls were brought down by God. He is the one kind of leading his people. He is the one winning the victory. Mm. Uh, and then also at the end of this, we have the promise to Rahab uh, brought about into fulfillment uh, and that Joshua spares her and her family uh, as a result of what she did. Uh, but... Uh, that Jericho itself is then completely destroyed uh, in the face of, of God's armies. Uh, a pretty well-known but important story and a pretty overwhelming victory for God's people. Uh, what, what excites you about this when it comes to talking to <laughs> youth guys? Yeah, I think it's quite clear, again, um, the importance of obeying God and understanding His sovereignty um, in this story. And so it's... Um, really interesting to see that the Israelites through their obedience are now seeing a physical or material result of their obedience and their faithfulness to God, which is helpful for them to see that God is actually the one that is doing the winning. He's the one that is fighting their battles for them after they have put their trust in him. It's not them that have done anything. And so we really see a link back to the commander of the Lord's army that he is the one that is fighting and winning the battles for them. Um, so this is a really helpful application for our youth, I think, um, to depend and trust on God. Yeah, and that our job isn't to win the victories for God in the world. Mm. Our job is to have faith that he will do that. And then, and then he does, right? Like he's the one who wins the great victories. He's the one who converts uh, the, the lost. He's the one who brings light into darkness, but that we have faith in him 
in, within our ministries and in, in our different lives as we do things for him, but we have faith knowing that ultimately it is him that will achieve those aims. And it's really helpful here because we see a really high stakes moment for that. It's a moment where a great victory is won that needs to be won for God's people to take the promised land. And if they had failed in this moment, it would have been really difficult. Um, but that they see it's God who is now leading them and he's the one winning the victory. And I think this is really helpful for talking to our youth kids and for thinking about how we go about, um, I guess, how we conceptualize God's work in this world, that he is the one that achieves things. Um, we're the ones who have faith in and give glory to him for that. Mm. So following the defeat of Jericho, we then have uh, a brief moment when we see that not all of Israel were faithful to what God had commanded them to do and that they weren't to take any of the devoted things, if you read through uh, chapter 6. Um, but some men, or particularly one man, Achan, son of Kami, uh, has has taken some of those things. And that then this directly results in a problem. In that now the Israelites... Um, they attack the city of Ai and they fail. A bunch of their men are killed. Um, they, they're worried because so many people are going to hear about what's happened, that they were defeated. And so well, this reputation that they built for themselves by destroying Jericho is kind of faded or might, might be blemished by what's gone on here. Uh, and so they, they go about this kind of weird um, process of discovering who was at fault. They discover that Achan was at fault. Uh, and so they punish him and his family uh, for that. Uh, and then following this and after a repentance of the, of the people for this, uh, they, they then take um, I and they destroy it. Uh, they win a great victory over I. Um, they're able to, um, yeah, they, they do a bunch of successful military tactics here that result in a victory. And it shows that after they've dealt with the sin of Achan, they're able to defeat I, but before they dealt with it, they were they were easily defeated by that city. And then following this, uh, the kind of second main battle that is spoken about in Joshua, uh, in, in at least in this much depth, they then renew the covenant. They have a moment when they all stand and listen to the law. Uh, Joshua makes some new copies of the law of Moses on stones, uh, and the people, including the women and children uh, and foreigners, uh, listen listen to everything that's going on um yeah and so and so the kind of the whole of israel once again commit to the law and commit to following him after the betrayal of Achan and and then almost defeat of what's gone on mm. uh this is a pretty weird passage one that we can probably contrast against jericho when we think about faithfulness um but yeah a lot in here what, what, what are you thinking man yeah i think you could really dedicate a whole talk to this section like you were saying, really, this this part of the story really contrasts uh, and I think is designed to um, be put next to the story of Jericho for us to see um, just how important it is for, in this context, Israel to um, trust in God. And it's interesting, we see Joshua's reaction at the defeat, he kind of gets on his knees and uh, praise fervently to God and God just kind of says, well, mate, get up, 
go do what I said initially. And so I think, um, yeah, this story is really important to get the point um, that uh, listening to God and obeying God for the Israelites uh, was number one for them. Um, I think we also see uh, in uh, Akan's situation um, the seriousness of sin and disobedience and actually the way that they deal with it, which is quite brutal and you might want to touch on this in a sec, but um, just how important it was for Israel to totally eradicate sin from within their community. Yeah, because it's a pretty significant but also quite scary moment and we will, um, in this second half when we when we do part two of this uh discussing depth how we deal with these particular difficulties um but it is a really difficult moment i think as a reader to see uh just just the complete eradication of of Ahan's family mm. in response to this it's quite a big section like we're, we're asking people to look through two chapters but i think we can utilize different tools at our disposal like maybe like the bible project or something just to get the the message across or and of what's of what's going on, um, because it's quite a long Bible reading to expect youth kids to sit through. But yeah, there's this moment where once again we see that the defeat and victory um, of God's people is completely based on whether or not God has decided that that's what's going to occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, that when Ahan sins against uh, God and Israel, really as well, um, that in response to that, like yeah, fair enough, you defeated Jericho overwhelmingly. But then in this situation, when you should have won, you've been defeated because I wasn't with you. Uh, that God is the one who wins the victory. And so if they're trying to win a victory without God or without being faithful to him, then they're not going to be successful. Mm. And we see that happen. Um, and so we see them kind of overcome a sin or root out a sin and deal with it, win, and then once again uh, reaffirm their faithfulness. Uh, and so I think for me, I'd you know doing these two passages maybe back to back with so with Jericho um, over two weeks is a really good moment to contrast what it looks like for God's people when God is with them and what it looks like for them when God is against them and really is an opportunity to talk about our futility within our sin that we're not able to achieve victory for God in this world on our own Mm. when we don't commit to God and we're not faithful to him that we that's foolishness but that the only way that we can be victorious in this world is by trusting in God and trusting that he will win the victories for us, uh, which is a great gospel moment, I think. I think you could quite use that contrast to, to preach the gospel to the kids yep. and, to talk, and to talk about that. Um, but yeah, a really important moment in, in the reign of, of Joshua as leader as he has to deal with his first defeat. Mm. And he deals with his first defeat through faithfulness through following the law and then committing to the law committing to to following god at this time uh which yeah i think gives us a good message of of sovereignty and god's Hmm. god's control over the situation yeah it may also be helpful to touch on um just how israel deal with uh the sin within their community um Particularly thinking about verse 26, they say, it says, Over Khan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Um, and so it's, it seems to me that this um, is kind of a memorial or a brain trigger for them, that when they see this, they remember the consequences of sin and the seriousness of it. And so thinking about, particularly for youth kids in application today, um, encouraging uh, them 
to think about what they can put in place in their lives um, that will help us uh, avoid sin or um, remembering God and that His way is better. Yeah, I think that's really helpful and a, a good place as we're kind of tracking through. We're, we're now building on all these situations where we're seeing God's um, faithfulness, but also He's a high expectation that He has on His people too. Um, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't consider it a high expectation, but um, we do. And, and it's almost funny, right, that at the beginning of this, at the beginning of chapter seven, when everything's been going well so far, we then read uh, words that are all too familiar with us. Uh, but the Israelites were unfaithful. Um, yeah, and, and it's a good quick reality check um, for God's people who might be getting a bit ahead of themselves at this point, winning a few too many easy victories. Right, well, me and Jimmy are going to keep hanging out and chatting, but from an episode perspective, this will be the end uh, of part one. But join us uh, again in two weeks. Uh, we'll release part two, and in part two, we'll keep talking about uh, the story of Joshua. We'll talk about some of the more uh, boring parts, as Jimmy put it earlier, uh, and thinking about why they're still important for us. But then we're going to spend a bunch of time thinking carefully about the difficult themes here in Joshua and and discussing how we can... Uh, talk about them and and communicate them effectively uh, in youth ministry. Thanks, guys. This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011, and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.